Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oh, Brad. Mm. Do you know how do you know how this content is made? I know how it's made. It's made by elves, but yes. I know how it's funded. How's that? By our patrons. What do our patrons get if they sign up to Patreon.com? Well, they immediately get to be on the team. They're part of the gang. They're one of us. And we hang out with them every Thursday night in a special chat room available only to the patrons where we talk yes. about pretty much fucking everything. And I yeah. usually get a little looped <laughs> and by the end of it, spill an old story from the 90s that, uh, trust me, most of those haven't been heard elsewhere outside of my very close circle of friends. They often involve nudity. <laughs> They have. Almost always, actually. Oh <laughs> but there's a lot of bonus content. There's some full-on bonus episodes. And, you know, you're doing it for the cause because right now, it's the only way that we're making anything off this thing. So become a patron. Patreon.com slash going off track. Suck on our teats to help us not suck on the corporate teat. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. I saw a little video before of Joe Biden, current president of the United States. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have. Uh, I'm familiar with that guy. You know, it was a a sad connotation, so I'm not going to talk about it in the intro. But I saw him picking up a toy for a kid and giving it back to him. And I was like, you know what? I bet Joe's a giving lover. You know, this is kind of what it made me think. Like, I don't know if he's physically up to the task these days, but I think he's a giving lover. And that kind of posed the question to me, like, at least in my lifetime, who not only who was the best lover in the White House, but like, who, you know, because I once had a girlfriend who told me, like, nobody is just good at sex. It depends. Like some people are good at it with each other. Right. You know, it takes. That's like, been my experience. Yeah. It takes two to tango. Yeah. You, know, you need to be stylistically uh, in tune. Yeah. So in my lifetime, I'm now, I think, on my sixth office of presidency. I was trying to think who had like just the most robust sexual relationship in the White House. I'm curious of your answer first. In well, your lifetime, who do you think? And I'm not just talking about president here. First lady too, who had the most robust sexual relationship? And I guess we'll determine this by who had the most casual sex in the White House just for fun. Well, first of all, yeah. Bill Clinton, obviously. 
But I wouldn't say that he probably was the best lover. Yeah. I would imagine that that would go to Barack Obama. I think yeah. Barack probably knows how to make a woman feel good. and I think so. I and, think so. But do you think they were often just in that kind of spirit, like a getting down spirit? They're busy people, right? Yeah. I know this might be a little controversial because I'm not, I, you know, I don't particularly like the man. But I think Bush Jr. I don't know, dude. He had like so much time, you know, <laughs> like he wasn't busy. So, like, I think he had a lot of nights where he, like, probably cracked a couple beers and didn't really know what to do with himself, which I think the other presidents probably had less of a chance with that, you know? Uh, and he was just, like, a, that ex, like, athlete. Right. Laura kind of seems up for it. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Yeah, like, I, you know, because I'd like to say Obama, you know, and I'd like to... The same reason, like, Brian Fallon thinks, like, Obama, like, smoked joints, like, through the presidency. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't that. think so, man. Like, he's pretty, you know, straight. It's, 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 he's pretty straight-laced dude. Like, yeah. And I think, it, I don't know, it might apply to that, too. I could see them being maybe the best couple, but I could see them being the ones who, like, are both reading in bed and turn off the lights by like 9:15 and say goodnight with a kiss. Right. So I'm totally with you on this journey. I can now, I yeah. can I can imagine W sort of as the guy maybe maybe having the most sex. Like I'll say that he yeah. had the most sex the because most. Right. he fucking didn't do anything else. He was yeah. like our last president in the respect of like the guy was barely in the White House. That's it. Yeah. But oh, he wasn't having sex the last one. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Not. I can't imagine that. Not he with his was, wife anyway. I can't imagine that he was the best. Like you know, the best lover. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's too religious for that. What about Reagan, his years in Hollywood. No, he was too no. old. <laughs> <laughs> too cool. Definitely not Bush one for sure. No. Yeah, and Clinton. I think like I don't know. I, I would say like he might have been a, a decent and capable lover, same maybe Hillary as well. But I don't think they were doing it with each other. Yeah, at that no, point, like no, there no, was no. too he much. Was, they weren't in love anymore. No, you know? no. Bill was the fucking rock star who thought he was on tour and was just yeah. getting what he could get. I know it's controversial, but I think I'm landing on Bush Jr. here maybe for the most. I, if I had to bet money on it, I would say as far as the most sex, yeah, I'll bet that he had the most sex. I'm with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so we had an uh an episode of going off track didn't we yeah <laughs> yeah should we come back to that <laughs> yeah let's round back to the fact that this is a podcast <laughs> and a healthy amount of the people tuning in probably want to hear dave and matt yes because absolutely. they are very interesting characters and uh man i you know i don't really have my ear to the the grindstone like i used to so I wasn't exactly sure what everybody was up to. And I got an email about this band and I'm like, oh, these are all people I know. You know, Mike and Matt played on it. Pete produced it. Brian played on it. Like, oh, OK, this is like this is like this whole crew. So, you know, just because of that, I'm like, OK, this is going to be some like, you know, explosion 2.0 thing going on here. Let me check it out. And then I get on the first song and I'm hearing the kind of chorusy guitars. It's a little more cut back. The vocals aren't like way on top. They're kind of moody. And I was just like instantly like relieved. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
And then I'm like half a song in, I'm like, wow, okay. And then I get to the start running away. And man, I've played that song two to three times a day since we've conducted this interview. Like my kids know it now. Like like the hook is great. Um, I'm obsessed with it. It's great. This music is great. Um, and I'm so happy that these two are doing something so valuable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. like one of those times, you know, like when a when you used to tour, like, you know, like a friend's band would hit you up to like to like, oh, can we get like a show? I have this new band. <laughs> right. And like you know you're gonna give them the interview anyway, right. but you're like so relieved if they're actually good, you right. know? Right. And this was one of those things. So I, I couldn't be happier for these these guys. They've been on a very interesting musical journey. I had no idea the journey Dave's been on for the last, you know, five, six years. So yeah, it's just great to see him picking up with an awesome new project and something I uh, am super stoked to get behind, you know? Yes, absolutely. I agree with everything you've said there. <laughs> so uh, that being said, if you have any thoughts on George Bush Jr. being an excellent lover, uh, please chime in. But if not, <laughs> let's uh, listen to the interview. So, gents. Yes. Welcome. Welcome to the program. So glad to have you on. Thank you, Benny. Thank you. It's good to be on. Dave, I don't remember why I nicknamed you Burner. I think it was uh, when Gaslight and the Loved Ones were on that tour. Maybe the second tour. We were in Canada, I think. Didn't we do two, uh -huh. two tours together? And it, it, it was because... I told you my name was Bernard, which it is. <laughs> yes, that was it. That my name is Bernard David Walsh. And you're like, yeah. Bernard, the burner, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and it just stuck. And just, oh, and it I'm just so stuck. glad you remember. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you remember. Well, it is my, also, it is my name, after all. <laughs> that does make it easier to remember. <laughs> I also hit up uh, Mike Sneeringer prior to this interview to get some dirt on you guys. Uh oh. And had forgot Mike is in my phone as, as simply Hot Rod. <laughs> That's got to be guess. a tough one if you forget that nickname. Well, he told me he was having trouble with a car recently and that if he fucked it up, I was going to change it to Not Rod. <laughs> <laughs> I like it's it. It's great, isn't it? It's yeah, great. It is great. I, I, I hope he doesn't writer, fuck it up because I don't want him to fuck it up. But in a way, I hope he does so that you can change it. Yeah. I mean, it would be fun. So, Matt, where are you at? Are you in, are you in Brooklyn now? I'm in a basement in Brooklyn. Yep. What what uh what neighborhood are you in? Well, it's I'm told it's called Greenwood Heights, but I suspect that that might just be marketing. I think it's Sunset Park. I'm just south of Park Slope. I'm on 23rd Street. Okay, is it one of those New York real estate scams where they're creating new neighborhoods? Real, yeah, because it sounds nicer. It might be that because we're very close to the Greenwood Cemetery. So, um, but yeah, that's where I am. I'm in Brooklyn. Awesome. And Dave, you're back up in, in Mass, huh? Yep. I'm in uh, central Massachusetts. Uh, I'm in the town that I grew up in. Uh, it's called Clinton, Massachusetts. I moved back here about four years ago from Brooklyn, from uh, from the slope, Park Slope, and uh, I couldn't be happier. It's the greatest. Yeah. How's all that? What, what are you doing up there? Uh, well, making music with Matt, and then yes. I grow weed for the rest of my time here. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, grow medical cannabis. 
now the whole burner thing is just really <laughs> came, yeah. came full circle. Yeah. Jesus, I'm fucking Nostradamus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wow, that's awesome. So how, how did you uh, start dabbling into that? Well, uh, I was working in event production um, up here, mostly in Boston, surrounding towns, um, until the pandemic hit. Uh, then all that work went away. And right. um, so I needed a job. I was collecting unemployment. That was great because I was getting a shitload of money on unemployment <laughs> for a while. And uh, but then I was like, I got it. But I was going kind of crazy. And uh, I live up up here with my uh, my girlfriend and her nice house. And uh, I was just kind of like, Jesus, well, I got to do something. And then my next door neighbor, who was an old friend from when I grew up, said he just started working at the uh, this place in Clinton that grows medical cannabis. Uh, and he said it was like one of the greatest jobs he ever had. So he put me in touch with them. I got in touch with them. And now it's great. I mean, it's like a, it's like a fully legit place. Uh, I uh, work. It's like a big, is it indoor facility? It's an indoor facility. Yeah. Yep. Hydro? Hydro. You know it. Yeah. <laughs> So many plants. It's insane how many plants they have. So they, there's a, a cultivation team and I'm on that team and I'm, uh, I'm doing that. Wow. That's awesome. So what yeah. did you, what specific things do you like, you know, I, as you know, I, you know, I'm a weed smoker, right? but I haven't had too much experience on the other side of things. Um, what, what did you kind of have to, you know, pick up and learn in order to, to do that job? Uh, a ton. I had no idea. I'm not a cannabis smoker. I occasionally, right. I take CBD and I occasionally will, like if the lights are low, it's, you know, <laughs> right before bed, I'll take one little hit, you know, right, uh, right. the lava lamp on. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be perfect. Otherwise I turn into <laughs> right. an absolute yeah. alien. So lunch uh, <laughs> made for the next day, clothes folded, outfit picked out. Absolutely. <laughs> All that, all that. freshly vacuumed home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, I had to learn absolutely everything from the top down, and it, the team there was like really cool about showing me everything. And I think they liked the vibe that I was like, you know, a rock musician. It's a it's a laid back crew, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so is it the same? Like, you know, I used to work at like like Alfonso's, the pizzeria. And, you know, every night after work, they'd be like, yeah, you could pick some from the menu and bring home. <laughs> like, like, does this work the same way? Was, no. was that pizza place regulated by the state? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, it was regulated by the, the sub-state of racketeering in New Jersey that owns all Italian restaurants. Yeah. Uh, it, there was an organization behind it. Let me say that. I gotcha. <laughs> no, it's absolutely not like that at all. In fact, if there's cameras everywhere, and if you get caught, take you know, so far as taking a leaf off the ground, I think yeah. I think you'd be terminated. So that's sure, not it's that, like yeah, they, it's, they would kill you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on the spot. Yeah, it's super regulated, super like legit above the board. It's like um, uh, like like a Walter White type operation. You know what I mean? Right. It's like except super legal. pro. Yeah, except for legal, it's super pro. Like tons of high tech equipment. Wow. Like all of the air filters are regulated. You know, it's just like one of those kind of things. Do you have to wear like, like something? I wear, like a, I, I wear scrubs every day. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Just to make sure like for, for, to keep it clean and stuff. Exactly. What, 
Yeah. What uh, what's what type of crew are you working with? Like age and um, like uh, what what type of people? I'm curious. Yeah, no, that's cool. I I'm here to answer your questions. Um, I am <laughs> I am the oldest one on the crew, actually. Oh, okay. Including the like the bosses who was this married the the this married couple are like horticulture geniuses. They came from California. There was an opportunity at this place to get this thing, you know, cranking. So they came here from San Diego, I think. And uh, they're in their mid-30s. I'm 45. And there's everyone ranges from age like 22 to, you know, I think the next person youngest to me is like 42. So, okay, and there's like 17 of us, I think, on the team. Crazy. Do you know, like, with your bosses, was there, and, you know, I wonder if this is happening throughout the U.S., is there, like, you know, sort of a, like, a reverse gold rush thing going on? Like, all these people from the West Coast with all the skills to, to make an operation like this, like, coming to, you know, Central and East Coast places that are starting to become legal? I think that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't heard this, but I wouldn't be surprised if like they went on to another facility to help them get started as, you know, as places open up around the country. Like I know New Jersey yeah. just became legal in New York. Yeah. New you know, York's so it, it's like such a cash cow, you know what I mean? So right. people with those skills, I think are like in crazy high demand. So yeah, that's crazy. So yeah. how extensive was your training? Like, what did you have to go through? I kind of just like, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I'm not like there's in the, in the operation of the cultivation team, there's like some people that know a little bit more than me. Um, you know, after about a month and a half, I was pretty much up to speed about what I needed to do. So, but I had to go through like in Massachusetts, there's like a cannabis control consortium. I, I don't know if that's what it's called, but I had to like, uh, go through a Corey check, which is, you know, like almost like a, a federal agency that does a background check on you. Oh, wow. So, you know, I had, that had to take two weeks before I could get in there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's based. Are you allowed to get that job if you have like a criminal record or something? I don't think so. Not like, especially huh. with violent crime or theft or, you know, right. Stuff well, like I wonder that. if weed sales is okay though. Well, a lot of people, <laughs> right. a, a lot of people on the crew, <laughs> yeah. I think, have sold and grown their own weed. Yeah. Sure, all so. of a sudden that becomes a resume. Yeah. Yeah. You could put that in the application, like <laughs> yeah. 12 years of black market. Yeah. Weed sales. Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> happened, but I mean, come on. Yeah. I don't know. Any, I like, e- either which way, it's like definitely one of the best jobs I've ever had. It's, it's really laid back. People cool. Uh, just learning about the plants and being surrounded by plants all day long is, is pretty Zen. You know what I mean? Now, when you're in on the inside of it, you know, I know like publicly it always, you know, I guess until recently when recreation, be, you know, became more of a prevalent thing. But, you know, it's always sort of put in his guise as like a medical type of thing. Like, is there like a sense of the people who work there, like some kind of like altruism, like you're actually doing good and providing like people with medicine? Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm one of the only people on the crew that doesn't really partake in marijuana all, you know, all that much. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, you know, it is in medicine and not, you know, so I, I think that there is that sense of, you know, that 
they're helping the community and helping people. It's awesome. You know, Brad over here is a mass hole as well. Yeah. We were just talking about that. He's from the Berkshires. And uh, I was telling him that I'm going to the Berkshires at the end of the month with my family to a town called Otis. Do you know Otis? Oh, yeah. I know Otis. Yeah. My friends got married in Otis. Yeah. So pretty stoked on it. Brad, I this is kind of mixes up the tale for me because when I think of your past, <laughs> you know, I think of this like real, you know, backwards Nantucket sort of thing. <laughs> Everyone has those weird like half British accents still. Like that's how hardcore <laughs> mass it is. When I hear the Berkshires, I think of you know golf and retirees. Yeah, but, and okay, stuff. but as I was telling Dave, like. I grew up kind of on the edge of the Berkshires, like where uh-huh. they kind of stopped the hillbillies from going up into the mountains, oh. sort of on the plains there. Yeah, I've Did always been, I've been stunned at how, you know, you, there's, there's New England hillbillies. And I feel like I grew up around a lot of them. A lot and of they're not allowed shirts. on the hill? I don't know. Maybe they, maybe so. <laughs> yeah, what's the outfit of a New but England hillbilly? I definitely feel like, you know, towns like Otis... They probably have an, a few hillbillies too, but they've definitely got a better vibe than where I was. I, I know what the outfit of a hillbilly Massachusetts is. It's LL Bean that they got like at the thrifty. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. And then they can like take that LL Bean gear and then go to the factory in Maine and trade it in for new gear. Philippine <laughs> right. has a very liberal return policy to yeah, pay for it. That's right. That's what I'm saying. So I think that's what's going on there. <laughs> so Matt, how's uh how have your days been going in Brooklyn? They've been good. I mean, I spend all my time in a basement, really. <laughs> right. Um and it's weird, but fine. Have Working. you been able to uh to keep work through all this? I have. Too, too much what work. What kind of stuff are you doing? Oh, it's so boring. Um, I, <laughs> it is. Uh, I'm a graphic designer. That's it, huh? That's going to be as far as it <laughs> should go, because if I say any more, everyone's going to turn the episode off. <laughs> Have you recently used the term human dog shit to describe somebody's work in your office? I've, I, it's funny that you bring that up, and I, <laughs> I'm glad that you did, because... <laughs> When we were in the office, yeah, I did introduce the phrase human dog shit to the office. And nice. no one was really able to understand what it was. Because like, we, I mean, the term, I imagine that, that you've, that you spoke about this with Maddie. Um, I did. <laughs> but the, the term originates, it's a sick of it all. It's the sick of it all is the derivation of the term human dog shit. Right. Um, Maddie is specifically, but in that realm. And as with many things, we're sick of it all. It's, it's all code and ridiculousness. And, <laughs> but some of it is so fucking genius that you just need to, you need to let it out. You need to try to let it out in the world. So I yeah. referred to something as human dog shit. I think I referred to someone as human dog shit. <laughs> okay. Someone that I, I didn't like and probably doesn't work there anymore. Um, and someone said to me, what is, what is that? Is that when like a dog eats human shit and then shits it out? And I said, it's not that at all. It's just <laughs> a way to say shitty, but funnier and better. <laughs> right. Like you, like, so the, like I, 
I don't know why that that would be your assumption about the derivation of the term. Although it's pretty cryptic, so I guess I have to give them some leeway on that. But I feel I feel like that was a pretty big leap, pretty big assumption. Yeah, have, yeah. You never know what a norm like what they're going to take in, you know. No, or put out. True. Or throw back at you. Um, yeah. So, yes, I have, in fact, introduced human dog shit into office culture in Manhattan. I love it. That's impressive. Thank you. Have you, uh, I mean, have you found, I know you've been, you've been like sort of tied to, you know, corporate America from your work for a while. Like, have you, you know, have you often had that experience where like, you know, being from your background, being punk, you know, talking about things a certain way, do you find it, you know, helpful or or not helpful in that environment? Uh, I find it lonely. I uh, I don't identify with anyone. Um, there's a there's a like large contingent of corporate America that fancies itself um on the cultural cutting edge and open-minded and exploratory and adventurous, but it's most of the time not true. Um, And I I find it difficult to connect with with a lot of people most of the time. I'm trying not to say anything here that's going to get me in trouble. Um, But human dog shit is really a perfect example of that. (laughs) Right. Because we could all say human dog shit to one another, whether or not we knew it, but, you know, just using it kind of in the abstract as an example. Yeah. Um, You know, it's kind of just almost literally speaking a different language. Um, Yeah. It's it's hard. You have to you have to adjust and adapt the way that you speak and are. Um, And I think that it. yeah, it just I feel disconnected from from a lot of people a lot of the time. Yeah. Do you think that there are pockets of, you know, like corporate America that can like truly accept alternative or subversive culture or it's just like once it gets to that point, it's got no chance anymore? No, I I do. I mean, I I I do work as a designer, so there are a lot of, you know, I mean, a lot of those people went to art school. Sure. And yeah. And are like genuinely interesting people. So, you know, my boss loves New Order and Joy Division and all sorts of cool stuff. He used to work at probably likes the new group then, right? He likes it. He used to work at Rasputin on in Berkeley. Um, So, like, like he's super cool. There are definitely pockets. Like, it's not all bad, but you know, by and large, I find it pretty difficult to to identify. Yeah. Sure. Matt, Maddie also told me you did some work on the uh, most interesting man in the world ad campaign. I did, I did, um, which was which was pretty interesting and, and awesome, actually. Yeah, and what then was that like? It was cool. I met Jonathan Goldsmith, who's the most interesting man in the world, several oh, times. Um, the worked original, with him. The, yeah. There's only one. Well, actually, yeah. that's not that's not totally true. There are two. There's a. There's the most interesting man in the world, the guy who says, I don't always drink beer, blah, 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 blah. Right. 
But then there's a younger version of him that they use in the ads to to you know expand the the backstory. Yeah, yeah I've seen that fucking poser. He's he's a poser. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's a nice guy, but he's not the guy. What'd you work on in that campaign? I worked on a, a bunch of the ads. Um, the you know coming up with the scenarios, writing some lines. Very cool. And uh, yeah, he. It was cool, but then the 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 company Heineken, well, it was Dos Equis, but it's owned by Heineken or whoever owns Heineken. They wanted to k- kill the guy off, and I thought to myself, I don't the, uh, like I don't really care. This is just fucking advertising. Like we're most of the time just like, spewing garbage out onto the airways, right, right? But this is actually like something that it was kind of interesting and people liked, and I thought I don't want to be a part. Of like sending this guy away, so I so I decided to move on at that point. Oh wow! I mean, I can't really take much credit for that. I can take credit for the stuff I worked on, but I the idea was not mine. The idea had been living for like twelve years or something. So it's, you know, whoever whoever developed that idea in the first place is the one who deserves the credit. But it was, yeah. uh, but I feel you know it was interesting to work on. Yeah, but, it's but also super boring to talk about on a podcast. <laughs> Why? I don't think so. <laughs> no? Okay, that's fine. That's why this I'm is co- going off track, man. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. But where does where do you want that track to take you? I want that track to take us anywhere that's natural and funny. <laughs> but the thing that it made me think of in regards to you guys is like, you know, before we got into this interview, I had kind of, you know, forgotten the, you know, the tales of what happened to the explosion and how you all kind of got caught up in these, you know, big companies and big industries and sort of, you know, I don't want to speak for you in the, in the way it, it, you know, exactly went down and how you feel about it. But it seems like you've, you've always had to uh, kind of, you know, be in the same pocket with this type of, uh, this type of thing, like the corporate, the corporate yeah. culture. And, and like, so I, there's a part of me that's like, wow, I'm surprised Matt's just not like a uh, like a monk in an ashram or something right now, or like. <laughs> Are you referring like, to to major label shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know, is there any part of you at this point that just feels like, uh, you know, a, a blanket resentment towards it, or do you think no. that not at all? No, I. I'm, in fact, I'm totally at peace with it. Um, I don't know that we we. Kn- I can say for sure we didn't totally, at least I didn't totally understand what we were getting into with all that. Mm. I think it was an opportunity to keep the band going. Um, And so for that, I'm grateful. It was an interesting opportunity that, you know, led us to do cool stuff. We went on Conan O'Brien, like that's rad. Mm -hmm. Um, We got cool tours. They didn't know what to do with us. Uh, We didn't know what to do with them. Right. I I think that we were. Well, I'll I'll speak only for myself, Dave. You can chime in if you agree or disagree or whatever. Okay. But I mean, I felt I I think I was a little naive, like not really f- being fully aware that we were inserting ourselves into like a, a, basically a machine. Mm. But you know, that's what they do, and that's fine. Like it's it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, I, I think um, when. The explosion was getting courted by major labels that we, 
you know, we were young, but not that young. We, you know what I mean? Like, so we were, we were just idealistic, I think. And we thought, I think that we could make it happen no matter which label it was on. And that was a, Mm. that was kind of a naive place to come from. I think, you know, like at the time, um, like V2 records and Interscope records, I think were also interested in And when I look back in hindsight, like those probably would have been better fits for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for some reason, Virgin just was, uh, well, first they offered the most money, which is important. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and like we had like a rapport with the A&R guy and, you know, you see, you've seen Virgin your whole life. And I don't yeah, know. It was yeah, just like sure. something that, you know, we were like, fuck it. Let's just, yeah. you know, it basically it was like, fuck it. Let's just go with them. You right. know? Yeah, and, yeah. and that was an interesting thing. Like, our A&R guy was named David Walter, um, who was a good guy. And he came, he was kind of a, a hardcore kid. I mean, he signed into another to Hollywood Records, I think. He mm-hmm. had something to do with, with, with Into Another, which is one of my favorite bands. Um, yeah. So I, I think that made us feel a little more comfortable. Um, there were lots of fucking amazing dinners that when that whole shit was going down. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think we had ever had a real, like, a good dinner before <laughs> yeah right like and then we had them and i, I part I, you know like superficially i was like i want good dinners a lot <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe like at the very least this will lead to lots of good dinners it led to some <laughs> yeah and then they stopped yeah right so, they led to some limousine rides and some you know flights to cool places yeah it was a pretty wild time but that was kind of there was like maybe four or five labels that were kind of into the explosion and so we would go to meetings and it, and we were touring at the same time it was like a pretty wild time man yeah honestly. i think the yeah. way i think the, like i assume it's still the same way i mean obviously the the music industry is, is has changed but I think once one label gets an idea about something, the other there's, there's like is like spy games, and yeah, the right. other labels find out immediately, oh, yeah. and then they just circle. Yeah, it definitely happens that way. Especially at that time, you know, that was like the early two thousands, and I think yeah, like right mu- before mu- it took a shit. Yeah, yeah. music was yeah, right. was still like really kind of a potent thing and CD sales was an actual thing and you know what I mean so and at that point everyone's kind of searching for like the next like what green day or offspring or something 100% yeah yep. yeah yeah that's where the whole thing was going yep what was the biggest tab you ever <laughs> worked up when you were getting courted i know this it was with interscope records they they flew us out to um LA to hang and get like a vibe for their label and they put us up in the in the standard Standard. yeah the standard hotel and (laughs) uh, we stayed there for i think three nights and uh yeah no i think it was a little longer than that maybe it was four or five nights i don't know but at the end of it like we had racked up a sixteen thousand dollar (laughs) tab just at the standard or like flights included no no just at the standard well because it turns out that you like there's the restaurant in the standard. Yeah, that 24-hour diner is delicious. It, yeah, it is delicious. They had a, they had a, a pasta just to die for. Right. They had was, a beautiful, uh, like, barbershop. Like, they, they had a barbershop, and they had a clothing store. Yep. 
and they and, and they had a bar. Well, they certainly had <laughs> yeah. a bar. Yeah. <laughs> so we brought a lot of people down, but yeah, I remember they were kind of mad. As as I remember, like they were mad that we didn't sign with them because of that $16,000 bill that we... Well, they should have told us, hey, yeah. we, we yeah. expect you to sign with us because of this, and we probably been like, oh, okay, I guess we got to do that. Right. Yeah, you're not allowed to be mad about that. Yeah. They, well, that's what I mean. You could probably be a little mad. hazard there. Right. Yeah. But we were, we were lunatics, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think we intended to... Uh, our goal wasn't, let's walk into this hotel... And rack up sixteen thousand dollars or whatever. Our goal was, our, our our intent was, oh, we're in this hotel, and this I can just go to the fucking restaurant and get food whenever I want. I can get my hair cut. Yeah. So I guess I'll do that because right. I guess that's okay. Yeah. There were no rules. There was no when we yeah. checked in. There wasn't a, like a book. There wasn't a little folder yeah. that said Interscope right. Records or whomever. Right. Yeah. And that said, here's like you know, kind of code of conduct for these situations. Right. Sure. Yeah. There was I just mean, a strange person being yeah. held captive in a in a um, plastic <laughs> thing behind the check in. Yeah. Which is oh, that's so that, strange that to me. That's that. so strange. It was like, so you, strange. It, like, well, they have I, a human aquarium. For anyone who hasn't been to Standard in LA, they have a human aquarium. Yeah. Behind the check in desk. <laughs> where usually a young woman is sitting with like mermaid flippers, like, right. yeah. and the fucked up thing is they're actually in the water without yeah. just yeah. getting the non-water. Yeah. <laughs> but there's there was young men too that don't you know there was men, women, all kinds of things. But looking back in hindsight now that you know I am a 45 year old man who just is normal. You know it it was <laughs> ridiculous. It was it was ridiculous know? behavior, and yeah, I I, I certainly would have treated that whole situation a lot differently knowing uh, what I know now, which is obviously doesn't matter to say that because how could that apply? But I would. No, but it's it's true. It's, you know, you you always look back at those times, you know, I think Matt and I were like 25 years old or something like that, or I don't know, something Something like like that. I mean, I think you acted exactly the way most pe- I mean, you, you say it and I'm like, I could imagine most people in that situation would have acted like you guys are even worse. Yeah. So I, I don't true. think there's anything yeah. Yeah. bad there. I I was a dumbass and thought I was going to die in the standard hotel room. Why? 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 Because it was, it, used- quick, well, it was a quick funny story, but I, I had, uh, for whatever reason, I had been... Uh, very sober for a good like six months or so. No weed, no anything like that. And I went to LA and someone offered me like a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I'm in LA. This is when LA, you know, California was the only legal place. And, uh, you know, and later that evening, I'd already had a couple drinks and someone offered me a little bit of an edible. And it was kind of that classic, like, you know, um, you know, when, you know, I was somebody always ODs when they haven't done something for a while. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like took an amount that I would have six months prior. Right. You bit so, off more than you could chew. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm uh, in that back pool area by the standard. And of course, one of the reasons I'd even taken some edibles was because I was already a little drunk. Right. And, uh, you know, we're, we're back in the standard pool area. And Ian Perkins uh, is telling God a story back there. 
Big Steve. All of us, big Steve, John John. <laughs> he uh he all of a sudden goes like a little animated. Whoa. Where like like he was kind of trailing when he was talking, and I saw him like kind of trailing a little bit. Whoa. And it sort of looked like that movie Waking Life. And uh, you know, my quick instinct as like you know, Jersey, like, yo, keep it together, keep it together. <laughs> you yeah. know, I just threw like a bunch of money down and just like ran to whatever room I had and subsequently had like the only panic attack I've ever had in my life because I had convinced myself that someone had put something funny in this edible. Oh. And then I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, oh, great. Like, drummer from rock band like dies in LA hotel room no one's even gonna care because it's such a cliche like who even gives a shit but I can't call anyone you know and I went through this whole gymnastics and oh, fell man. asleep and woke up stupid but that was the only night I ever had at the standard was oh, there. oh well, wow. it's not, I would imagine you don't want to go back no I'd love to I'd love oh, I mean experience listen, in a different way I'm an odds man Matt you know so if you have a night like that and it's one of the singularly weirdest nights you've ever had, <coughs> the odds of it happening twice in the same place are pretty slim, no? That's a good point. Especially so, considering that you you know you have prior experience. Yeah, now I know, you know, what to stay away from and what not. Right. But it is a trippy place regardless. 100%. I imagine it feels less trippy now. I, I imagine it feels yeah. uh, it feels uh, of a bygone era. At this probably, <laughs> I remember too. Like, like we tried so hard to break a thousand dollar tab when we were getting courted, and we couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, you should have called us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, you know Brian Fallon. All I could get him to do was eat some like chicken fingers and order a coke, and he wanted to leave. <laughs> well, sometimes <laughs> you have to do the hard work. You have I to tried. get the haircuts. You have to buy the sneakers. Oh, you have tried. to buy every friend that you've ever met in Los Angeles drinks and some new ones that you just yeah. met. Yeah, yeah, We needed to do the night. We never did the night. We just did the dinner. Oh, we were so good at the night. Oh, I, I yeah. mean, I've heard. Yeah. I've heard. We've had a lot of good times in the night. We're, we're you know, <laughs> fans of the night. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> now we wake up at 5 a.m. and watch uh, YouTube videos about pedals. Yeah. <laughs> now I can't believe during this time you had y young Dave Haas as your tour manager, huh? Yes, we did. Yeah, we oh, did for a while. Yeah, we did. It was. I don't uh, know that he was on that trip, but yeah. No, he wasn't on that trip, but he was on a couple of trips. Yeah. So Dave was. Uh, the first time we ever met Dave was in the year 2000. We were on our way to Europe with Sick of It All. Human dog shit. No, yeah. <laughs> sick of it all is not human dog shit, but you know. <laughs> you better clarify that. Much yeah. respect. Yeah. The, right, right. the genesis of human dog shit, obviously, from sick of it all. So we met him. I think I first met Dave, or we all met first met Dave at the airport, I think, like in LaGuardia or something like that, on our way to Paris. Actually, I think we met them the night before we left. Oh, we met, met, yeah, we met Cutlets and Haas at a bar on the Lower East Side because right. they said, let's all get together. And then, so we met them for, well, we met Cutlets for the first time. We had known Dave at that point, uh, uh, I think. I, I think I knew Dave at that point. You might have. Uh, I don't think I did. Anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm going too far. I'm going off off track. So, Dave, <laughs> please get us back. Go ahead, Bo. No, well, no, I don't. anyway, so we, 
Yeah, that's where we first met Dave. We fell in love with him. He, we thought he was the, the best, funniest, coolest dude ever. He and, is. Uh, and he was actually tour managing Sick of It All. Or no, I'm uh, guitar teching for Sick of It All. Right. And uh, after that, we all came back from Europe. We were there for like a month, had a lot of hijinks and fun. And then uh, Dave was a roadie and he was looking for more roadie work. And we were in search of a cheap roadie and he was one. So he like, you know, because I think he was just starting being a roadie and he was roading for the souls or whatever. And, and he's like, yeah, I love you guys. I'll come out and work for you. Uh, we didn't have a big budget at that point. No, we certainly didn't. Yeah. So <laughs> he and he did. And um, and when he was on tour with us, he would like pick up a guitar backstage and, and play these songs. He's like, dude, what is up with these songs you got? I was like, they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What and, are you doing? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So we basically fired him and it's like, dude, you guys just start a group. You know, yeah. Well, oh, so you guys are really like you're really pushing him to do music. Yeah, definitely for sure. I don't so. think that we fired him, but well, you, <laughs> but you we know. were definitely supportive of of him. We didn't fire, but you know what I'm saying. Like it's kind of like we we were basically like, dude, you should stop being a roadie. Yeah, you're very good. At, you're very good at this, but you are much better at this other thing that you actually love doing. Well, yeah. I mean, it made me wonder because you know I once saw Dave you know, fumbling through a backpack of cash at the end of a solo tour, you know, and I was like, Hey, come on, man. You know, you got to get that together just like a little bit, yeah. you, know, you know, and, uh, yeah, get so when he told me like, was he, was he a, a put together tour manager or more of like a party technician? No, no, no. He was, he, he was, he had it all under control. Yeah. Took it seriously. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know him. He takes he takes things he, seriously. He's a proper working bud. He knows how to put his head down when he has to. Right? Yeah. yeah, he he does. But he was also a party technician too. He's yeah. he's multi talented. He was both. Well, I heard the three of you were the trifecta of not doom, <laughs> but joy, joy, doom, whatever one you want to call I it. I think sometimes they they morph into one thing. Yeah. How how was it? Because I know you were on like with with AFI when they were breaking to like majors and social D. Were yeah. you guys ever like too much for any of that, or did people just kind of love it? Like it was just the the energy uh, of the band like that that people liked. I think we were probably with AFI. I think they absolutely knew what to expect. Right. Um. Probably welcomed it to some extent. And there are buds. Um. There were probably times on the Social Distortion tour, which you know, both those tours and, and sick of it all. Like I'm, I'm like really thankful that we got to do those tours. Um, I think there were probably moments where we were a little bit, me in particular, was a little, little bit much. Um, yeah. But I, not, I, I, not I just you, that, all of us for sure. But I, I like to think that they, um, they don't hold that against us because they were because it was a great tour and they're they're very very gracious. To us. Matt Freeman played bass on that tour and he's such oh, a rad dude. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was rad. That's awesome. Oh, sorry. Well, do you hear my dog? I no, do. we can't hear it at all. <laughs> no, we can't hear it, Dave. <laughs> sorry about that. I thought it was you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought I thought you brought home something from work and getting silly, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, enough with the old. Let's get with the new, with the Space Cadet. I really, really dig this stuff. I was texting. Uh, Dave earlier, you know, talking about Start Running Away. That was like the first track I heard from this record. And to me, it was like 
fuck, such a pleasant surprise. Like I didn't know, you know, if I was going to hear some version of the explosion or your old bands and I heard it and I'm like, it doesn't sound like any of it, but it's definitely like what my ear would prefer to hear this day and age, you know? Um, Absolutely. That's great to hear, bud. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. No, it's, it's great fucking songs. I'm really into it. So, but you guys literally started this in January, huh? Of 2020. We started this in January of 2020. Yep. Shit. So, I mean, like, you know, it starts ramping up in February and March. Or are you kind of like, oh, of course, right? Right when I get back to it, like, you know, this has to happen. Or did, did yeah, you kind of, were you able to just power through and keep that initial momentum going when you had the idea? Oh, I mean, it's, in some ways... In some ways, my my adjustment to to quarantine mm-hmm. was much easier than most because I had been sitting in the basement writing songs in, in all my free time anyway. Okay. So, like, it was the same thing for me. And, I mean, like, the momentum was going, okay, this thing happening or not, this fucking shitty pandemic, like, I, I, I would have opted to be in the basement writing so right right so it actually worked out in that way yeah yeah uh, it, it, or it, it just was it it was neutral yeah i think i think for me it was like it was almost an opportunity in a weird way i think to like kind of like like i said at the beginning of the pandemic i was kind of out of work so i think it was like a almost like a good thing to happen you know in a weird way i was able to get a little more creative start thinking about this cool project and you know at first we were gonna um we just had written a couple songs like matt wrote a couple songs and i had a song or two that i had like one song i had written before one song i had written like kind of in the beginning of the year and we were just going to do like a single, like a seven inch and I don't know, mm. release it ourselves or, you know, right. and then, um, when it's the, when the pandemic started really kind of cranking up and like, it was sketchy to go into the studio. Uh, we talked to Pete Steinkoff who produced the record. Um, you know, we were like, dude, what do you think? And he's like, ah, I don't know. Maybe we should wait until, the summer just to see because we didn't yeah. know if we were all going right. to drop dead or whatever you know like <laughs> yeah, if right. we if we saw each other and like sure. just traveling across state lines that you know because yeah. i'm in the, mass so the degree of uncertainty yeah. at that time was a is was pretty overwhelming yeah and yeah we we got on the phone with pete and, and he like dave said was basically buds we just gotta put this off and i'm pretty i'm pretty glad that happened actually because you know, you were t- you asked about the momentum earlier, and I like to think that it wouldn't have, have stopped any momentum, but I imagine, you know, realistically, it probably would have because we would have had to take time away from writing to go record. And then what do you have? You have three or four songs recorded? Like, that's cool, but what the fuck do you do with that? Um, yeah, right. Yeah. And so it forced, I mean, look, I'm very excitable, so I, I, I just want to get <laughs> stuff out, but sure. And I realized that, you know, just having three or four songs is, it's, it's, it, at that point, it's meaningless, frankly. So, huh. had we done that, it, it could have been a, a, it could have been a shitty situation. So, we didn't. Mm. And it could have been a flash in the pan. 
Right. Could have been a or no, they're just a pan with no light, with no flash, with no fire. What what does the term come from? Searing something or just a light reflecting off the metal of a pan? Either way, no (laughs) no no source of light whatsoever, be it from a bulb or a flame. (laughs) God damn. Matt, have you been um, like like have you been writing the entire time? Like what? What what kind of um, like creator are you in that way? Have like are you constantly writing music, constantly writing lyrics, or do you do you need like a project to be writing them for? I need something. Uh, I hadn't written anything or picked up a guitar in uh, probably fifteen years at that point. Oh wow! Okay. Um, Maybe less. I mean, because we had played, you know, there's been a smattering of explosion shows. Right, right. Um, so we played music, but like never had anything. The explosion played two shows with Bad Religion in August 2019, in yeah. both in New York. It was fucking glorious. I, I, the farthest I had to go was Manhattan. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Um, and at the f- second show, Ryan Baker was like, come check out. We're Dave, Dave, and Brian Baker were talking about amps and stuff. And I was like, oh, amps. Um, he's like, come check out all this stuff. So we all, Brian Baker took everyone up. He's like, okay, so here's my, here's my whole setup. And I was just kind of like a little bit on the outside looking in. Looking in and I was like, man, I want gear. <laughs> I want like to do, I want this. I just want, like, this feels like, this is meaningful. Like I, I need meaning. <laughs> um, so I, it, it prompted me to go get a guitar and, and start writing songs again. So, That's so awesome. I, but, but since then I've been writing pretty much every, almost like I'd say almost every day. Very cool. How about you, Dave? Have you been kind of picking away this whole time or, or sort of had to get kickstarted as well? I had, to, well, I kind of had to get kickstarted i did a band in between like the loved ones and space good i did this band called vapors uh with some friends and it was at a time when i was really out of my mind um and kind of figuring out like how to leave new york city and i was just Mm -hmm. like and i was in a band called dark blue too um you know just kind of going from band to band and doing this and that and uh you know not not to like give you my whole story, but like I was in a, a pretty serious motorcycle accident. And then, so I, when, when did that happen? That happened two days after Donald Trump uh, got elected to Ooh. be president the first time. So I think Jesus. it was November 6th of 2016. What a fucking week. What, what happened? Right. Uh, well, I was actually on my way uh, from Brooklyn. I was living in Brooklyn at the time. And I was going to play a show with Dark Blue um, in Philly. And I was riding my bike down there. And it was like at 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, I was on the Jersey Turnpike. And um, I got hit from behind. I was going 70. Someone hit me from behind going like 90. Yeah, it was insane. Oh, my God. The fact that I lived was insane. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That is. And the fact that you weren't. I mean, I I think obviously you experienced some like fucking pretty serious emotional injury, but the fact that you were like harmed physically is a fucking gift. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I landed on my back. I slid like 50 feet. My bike was destroyed, obviously. 
But uh, after after that, I kind of like it went into like a serious psychological, very like um, interesting and well, like I thought it was dead for a long time. Like it was odd. But anyway, so after that, I was like, I got to get out of New York. I got to get out of here. You know, like work was insane. I didn't want to do anything when I was in New York. So I moved back here to Clinton to be close to my family. I was in a little bit of a, like a psychological conundrum, you know, uh-huh. but luckily I have a great family here and they kind of like supported me and helped me up. And, um, and so when I, when I came here, like I was in that band called Vapors in a dark blue, I stopped playing with them and, uh, just being here, like kind of open, opened up like my communication with Matt. Like I'm, I'm always in communication with Matt, but like more talking about the explosion and, and just music in general. And, um, so fast forward to 2020, um, I, I just, yeah, I started picking up the guitar again, started writing some stuff and, uh, the rest is kind of history with, with this group, you know? Wow. That's wild, man. Yeah. Wow. Pretty that, wild. I, didn't know the severity of that. I'm so happy you wound oh. up okay. And yeah, thanks. Sounds, Me too. Sounds like almost uh, kind of provided a uh, like metaphorical kind of like come to Jesus moment for you a little bit. Like a hundred percent. It really is a hundred percent that it's like one of those like major events in your life that just like really kind of changes the whole paradigm of what your yeah. life is. You know, like my life in New York City was crazy. I worked in like event production and it was insane, you know, just like the, the whole pace of New York city and the yeah. whole, you know, it, it, like I, it was like, I was four years old and I was like, I got to get out of here. It's just not for me anymore. I mean, God bless anyone who, who lives there and, and does their thing in New York city. I, I totally respect it. I loved it for, you know, I lived there for 13 years. I, I loved it, but I just, I needed to, to come back to home. You know what I mean? Right. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I just haven't been, uh, I, I, I just realized how unhappy that I had become in New York and how much happier I am here closer to my family. Uh, I got back together with my high school girlfriend. I had seen her in 20 years and, you know, oh, nice. yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's so, an amazing story. The whole thing is so fucking cool to me. Oh, it really thanks. is. Yeah. Thanks, man. So, oh. so yeah, that, that kind of like led me to start writing some music again and stuff. Uh, I am not, however, as fastidious as Matt is about like sitting down and writing every day. Like ideas come to me and then I kind of get them down. And, uh, but Matt and I have like a great way of, of working, you know, separate, but together. That's awesome. And, and you guys seem, I mean, you really seem like you're, you're all in on this, right? This record's out and, and you're just right into trying to do the next record, play shows, do the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly as much as we can, you know. Obviously, the lives we lead now limit us a little bit, but sure. like, we we want to do as much as we can. And, you know, um, that will likely be some shows. I think it'll be a lot of more, a lot more videos because, well, we love making these videos. I mean, we Those don't videos make them. are great, by the way. They Thanks. Really My wife fantastic. makes them. Joanna. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I was um, gonna ask who made those, and she does Matt. a really good fucking job. <laughs> no, not me. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and I yeah, and I, we just, we want to record. I mean, recording with Pete was, and this is a, another s- story that is 
somewhat complex, but recording with Pete was great. Like doing that record was awesome. We ended up recording that record. Dave recorded from home. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's another thing is um, another like thing about psychology and stuff like that. And you talked about having a panic attack earlier, but uh, when I was, uh, so Matt, we booked a time down in Asbury Park. Um, it was in was it in August, Matt, or July? July. It was in July. So I was all geared up to come down to Asbury Park, and I had a panic attack. And I don't know, I don't know what that was all about. If it was like just traveling during the pandemic or whatever, but like it was severe. Like I had to go to the hospital and everything else. And uh, I had to call Matt and, and Pete and say, listen, dudes, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I just had a panic attack and I, I'm just too, I can't get in my car and drive down there, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was bad. So, so you know, I went to the doctor, I got sorted out and fine now, but, uh, but then we're like, Matt was, Matt was so like on it. He's like, dude, it's cool. We're going to make the, fu- we're going to make the record happen. We're going to record with Snaringer, Matt Olson, Chris Gonzalez, and and Pete. And I'll go down. I'll do the I'll do the stuff with them. We're going to send it to you. You record because I have a studio in my house. You know, they're like you record your part, send it, and that's how we did it. And it actually worked out perfectly because Matt and I kind of got to be able to work at the same time in a way. You know, like. Like he was recording with Pete and recording the other musicians and I recorded my parts up here and sent them down. I, I looked at tape off magazine to see what I had to do <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then sent it down, you know? So that's awesome. Well, that's, yeah. that's so cool. Cause it's like, it's turning into a very, a very nice story of friendship. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know? And like people really being down for each other, which is, which is uh, nice to hear. You have to be. Yeah, it have to be. I think here's what this is a little sappy, but I think you got to tell your friends you love them as much as you as much as you can because because it's important to know. It's important to say and it's important to know that your friends love you too. Absolutely. Yeah, and if anybody's listening to this, remember you're listening to a bunch of old bastards (laughs) who maybe should have been taken out a few times. Yes. 100%. So we know. We know yeah, there's a reason it. we're saying it. That's right. That's right. We know how fragile it is. Yeah. Now, speaking of which, gents, you were all wrong about the term flash in the pan. Oh, oh. boy. You have on site of a researcher. The term flash in the pan originated sometime during the late 17th century when flintlock muskets were used. Oh, uh, oh of course. An attempt an attempt to fire a musket that resulted in gunpowder flaring up, but no ball firing was referred to as a flash in the pan. Fuck, I feel like a <laughs> fucking idiot now. <laughs> I just assumed it was about cooking somehow. Because when I it's think a shiny pan, light against my cast iron, oh. Yeah, uh, well, I was thinking some sort of, see, you know, when, when you see on the, the TV when, the, when they advertise yeah. the shows about flash the cooking? Fry. Yeah. yeah, and there's a quick flame. Yes. Right. No, but I was I'm glad with you. That we know that. I thought, I thought it was like flash cooking a steak or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all that those was... all those things they come from sailing or war. Often they're the, the one and the same. <laughs> so I should I should have known better. I mean, that's all the water the world. War, water wars. Yeah. 
I mean, that was the world for 2,000 years up until now, right? Just I know. sailing and war. So we came along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. I have one other funny thing I need to hear about, okay? Now, okay. we usually do the segment Mystery Friend. Clearly, you both know who my mystery friends were going into this interview. <laughs> I got on a group text with Maddie O'Brien and Dave House. Yeah. And I said, give me everything on these jamokes. <laughs> um, now, one thing I would like the story about, Matt, I need to know. This is a potato sack. It's not. I <laughs> need good. to know about your mom's Datsun 280ZX. That's Dave. Oh, that's me. That's you. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so, so what happened with this car? All right. Well, it's funny because I'm I'm sitting in the house now with the same girlfriend <laughs> that I had when I was 17. And, and, so 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 Full when, circle. Yeah. So when I was in high school, my mom bought a little sports coupe. It was this awesome Datsun 280Z X, awesome car. She said I couldn't drive it, but when they weren't looking, I went to the local hardware store, made my own key. <laughs> and then when they, my parents would go away kind of on the weekend sometimes, leave us alone to like, just, you know, be cool, whatever. To fuck up their cars. Yeah, yeah. So I took the car out and I drove to my girlfriend's house, who's right in the kitchen right now. And uh, <laughs> I, I drove into her driveway. It's kind of on a slope. And I parked behind her dad to get this big white Explorer. Kind of looked like OJ's car. Okay. Uh, he, so I went in the house. I said, Hey, Joe. And he, he said, Hey, Dave. He went into his, his, uh, explorer. He looked in back to back out. He didn't see the Datsun because it was below. It's a really low car. It's a sleek vehicle. It's a very sleek vehicle. He drove, <laughs> he, so when he backed up, he drove up over the whole no, thing. Why? <laughs> like a monster truck and crushed the whole thing. No, <laughs> Was this Dave at the house where I where I stayed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same right house. there. I've yeah, seen, right there. I've seen the scenario. God. It is precarious. Oh yeah, my god! Yeah, yeah know Matt, Matt knows Joe and Tony. I uh, love them to death. Yeah, they're the best people. But yeah, so he crunched the car. I had to call my parents. They were in Cape Cod, of course, and tell them the whole thing. And they were not happy. Oh my god! How did that? How did that pan out? Like. Like, ah, how'd you get the car out of the driveway? Like, yeah, well, I think we called the tow truck, and you know, my parents, like, I was the baby. I had two older sisters who were a little wild too, so like, they're just like, ah, whatever. It ah. wasn't a big deal. My parents are very chill, so it was. But cool. they didn't have insurance. They did too have insurance. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, fine. When you said the slope, because I was told the story had a very Ferris Bueller's. Yeah. Vibe to it a bit, a bit like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It was um, I, I think it's it is so good for the world that it happens so that story can be told. Honestly, <laughs> it is a pretty, it is a pretty funny story. But I was horrified when it happened. I was like, oh no, it's gonna be over. My parents are done. I'm gonna do whatever. I mean, I know you stole the car and all, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, he had a key. But it, but it's it's kind of Joe's fault, isn't it? A hundred percent. And he thought it was his fault. It, and yeah. <laughs> in fact, in fact, when I called my parents, like he was like, let me talk to him. It was my fault. Oh, you know? okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 It I think this fault. is a no, this is a no fault situation, honestly. Yeah. They, like, my parents you are over. You can't see the, the car that's three feet tall. Right. <laughs> And you're on, you're on a bit of a, uh, of a, of a, of a incline. Uh, what I'm wondering, the guys though, in a large like, vehicle. 
He yeah. must have, do? he must have gave it some real. Yeah. He must have juiced it up pretty good. Well, what I think happened is like he he backed up and then he met some resistance and he's like, "What's back there?" and he just gunned it, you know. <laughs> Right, right. Like I'm an explorer. I'll get through whatever this is. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my god, dude. Explorers wow. are the most uh, indestructible vehicles, as we know. That's yes. right. Yes. So when Cameron was in Egypt, land. Let, uh, let him. Let my so, Cameron go. That's so funny, man. And then the only other story I got from Dave. It's not even a story. Maybe you could fill me in and and. and Tell me if I'm wrong. Oh, God, this is what's coming? In quotes from David Haas, okay? He said, I once was paying him, I believe this is Dave, to work construction for me. <laughs> he went out and spent two days wages on the most ridiculous tools he could find so he could, <laughs> so he could dress the part. It was time to load two by fours into the site. He lifted one at a time to my chagrin and said, in quotes, you pay peanuts? You get monkeys. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I would tell him. I was like, I bought these to- tools so I could pose with them. You know, so I would lift a hammer over my shoulder and kind of give him a wink, whatever. I like was, Zoolander. I, yeah, I was really not there to work. I was there to just, to, yeah, dick around. And you really said this quote, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys? I, I absolutely did say that quote. Oh, That's a very Dave quote. <laughs> I'm taking that. Yep. Oh, man, that is too much fun. Yeah. Um, all right, so back to the Space Cadet record. Yes. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, so what was the decision like? How far along were the songs when you decided to to bring in, like, Mike and Matt? And and what was your decision to, like, you know, bring in a real rhythm section for the record and stuff? The The record, at that point, when we decided to bring those guys in, well, we knew we needed a drummer. We we knew we wanted to have a full band on the record. Okay. Um. So we didn't. We knew that, but we didn't want to engage anyone until a record was almost done. So mm. we, I think, we approached Mike. Probably we recorded in July. Probably in May, and said we have this going on, and sent him the demos for. It was probably six or seven songs at that point. Um, and our plan was to just play the the bass. We would just s- switch off playing the bass. Classic which, mistake. No Absolutely, <laughs> I, I totally agree. Because like that's the thing is like you think all right, like we can do it. Like I can play guitar, and Dave can play guitar. Like I can kind of play guitar. Um, <laughs> and you know you're thinking like yeah, I'll just I'll just play the parts. But you know it's not like if you're not a bassist, you're not you're not playing. You're not you're not trained to play with the drummer. You're not right. You're not trained in the nuance of the instrument, and it's a beautiful fucking instrument. Mm-hmm. So we realized pretty quickly, like this is not the greatest idea because we're not sure, like what performances we'll get, and it's inefficient. Um, because you know Pete recorded bass and drums live, and. I mean, Dave probably could have pulled it off, but I certainly could have, couldn't have, like, I would have been fucking up all the takes and all the drum takes. Mm. So when we realized, when we, when all this dawned on us, we thought, okay, we gotta, we gotta get someone. And we had met Matt Olson um, through Dave Haas. Right. And he's a wonderful person. He's a wonderful musician. He's a wonderful bassist. He's a wonderful drummer, from what I understand. 
Um, and and we were like great friends vibe. with him. Great vibe yeah, on that such character. a great vibe. So yeah. so we hit him up and said, "Would you be down to do this?" He said, "Yeah, I would." Um, and and he, he also said, uh, "Yeah, just buy me lunch and I'll come." Yeah, and do he's it. like, "Can you give me gas money and buy me lunch?" And we said, "We can do that." <laughs> cheap date, um, cheap date. Uh, so so they they agreed to do it. So yeah, I guess short answer is we we always knew we needed a drummer. Um, we realized when it was necessary to realize that we needed a bassist as well. Hmm. How did you like present the, like what shape are the songs in when you gave it to those guys? Were they like completed tracks with your own bass and like drum samples or they, they had some yeah. room? Yeah, yeah. Like a lot like garage band logic drummer, you know, like right, the, right. The, the drummer part of those, um, applications so i guess and yeah matt has a bass i have a bass we have guitars here you know so they were actually in pretty decent shape honestly they were and but but there was but it but those drum and bass tracks weren't you know they weren't the law of the land we wanted we right. wanted mike to do his thing because he's awesome yeah and we wanted matt to do his thing because he's awesome and also it's like if I don't know. I, f- I would feel kind of weird about bringing someone in and saying, you have to play this exact thing when, yeah, right. you know, what what could and likely would happen is if you say, hey, I'm going to give you a little rope, you're going to make something that's awesome and that we never would have thought of. Sure. So so do that. And, and, and they did. And I, I think like, you know, Matt was pretty true to, to a lot of it, but he added a lot to a lot of it as well. My, same thing from Mike. And we I had done like, we had yeah. like done pre-production already with Pete. Like we were sure. we were in pretty constant from the point we wanted to do the seven inch, that that stupid idea. Um Pete was pretty engaged. So we were sending him everything the, cool. like the entire time we were writing. I feel like it's a pretty smart move anyway, because unless you're you know, creating a situation where you're really, you know, paying someone for their time extensively, like you're you're bringing artists in, and if you're not, you know, paying them a lot by the hour or something, you want to make people feel like they have something to offer it. And absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it and, great. And, and, yeah, and you want to make it as easy for them as possible. You know, like make sure the songs are are kind of complete before sure. you know that kind of thing. There's a few of those classic Mike Sneeringer fills in there that I know. Oh. A garage band can't do. No, um, certainly, certainly not. He is the best. He's just so intuitive, you know, like about what to hit and what to play. And and just that, you know, just having played with him for so, you know, so long and just being a fan of his drumming, like, um, and like he was the, the person that came to mind first for me. So, and when I, I think I, I mentioned it to you, Matt, right? And then you're like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, of course. He hits those drums very hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And very accurately. Yeah. Lead hands. Lead yeah. hands. I can't believe it's a suit now, too. Ooh. Well, mm-hmm. get happens by, right? to the best of us, I guess. Yeah. I can't imagine the guitar jerk-off fest you guys had when recording with Pete. So I want to just get this out of the way. <laughs> you know, let's do it. What was the essential pedal or piece of gear that, that you needed to make this record sound the way it sounded in your head. Go ahead, Matt. Okay, I'll go. For me, it was a Roland Jazz Chorus amplifier. Okay. Um, 
a walrus slow ambient reverb pedal. Okay. And uh, a JHS Prestige, which is a buffer booster enhancer, but if you turn it all the way up, it becomes a great overdrive. And fuzz pedal. Dave? Uh, I used uh, my Stratocaster the whole time. Uh, I I just have kind of like a generic made in Mexico, but really beautiful and awesome Fender Stratocaster that I love. And I use that. And I think I use my Dan Electro on a couple things too. Uh, Yeah. And then um, I have this really cool Vox uh, amp. It was designed by Tony Bruno. It's a... TB351C. Awesome, awesome amp. And then um yeah, I used I used uh an EP booster pedal, which is a great boost pedal. I used a Wampler Tumnus that Matt gave to me for my birthday one, I think last year. Yeah. Legendary overdrive. Yep, legendary overdrive. And then uh again, uh, friendship. Yes, exactly. That's right. Love this. Yeah, an MXR carbon copy, and I have this little crappy um, reverb pedal that actually sounds beautiful. It's a more chimverb, so I use that. And uh, yeah, that was it. That's now when you got when you were putting this to, together with the ideas. What was there like um, a guitar sound in particular, like someone else's that you were kind of reaching for, like something that was the like, oh, Ooh. if I could just get it to sound like this, like, or close uh, to this, then I'll be in shape. I I don't know. There's, that's a tough one because I don't think, I don't think that, like, trying to sound, specifically trying to sound like someone else is really going to get you anywhere. I know that sounds mm. like fucking, like I'm the total human dog shit bullshit. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> but I, I, I do think it's true. I, Dave and I were just, like, super into effects and i think we just wanted to sound we wanted the guitars to sound like the pedals are supposed to sound right okay um i will say that the first time i ever like recognized a guitar sound being good on a record was social distortion white light white heat white trash because those guitars Ah. sound like in so insanely good and it's a different style, obviously, but I, I had that in mind a little bit. Like I like there's a certain like amount of layering being employed. Um again, very different sound, but like I, I wanted we wanted the the guitar it, you know, it's a pretty guitar focused record, let's be honest. So Yeah. Yeah, sure. Actually, Matt, did we talk about chorus pedals? Did did you use a dimension oh. C? My God, how how could I forget? I, exactly, I, I thought I I forgot too. Uh, I think it was a chorus ensemble. Chorus ensemble. Oh, no, no, no. It was it was a dimension C, the one with the buttons. Yeah, yeah. How could it, I fucking forget? I mean, the the record is so drenched in, in chorus. chorus and reverb. How? Yeah. <laughs> I rue the moment moments I, ago. <laughs> I just thought I I just thought about that. Like chorus is such a big part of it. Brad, are you just on the other line, like, like playing <laughs> playing with your putt over here? I don't want to slow down this conversation, so I'm not going to talk. It is super fast. <laughs> Brad's got a tape op magazine open right now. As long as you guys yeah. aren't talking about sports, I'm 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 very happy. <laughs> I hear you. It's true. He doesn't like that. The dimension uh, is that a rolling pedal? I don't know that. It's pedal. a boss pedal. Boss. Okay. Yeah. It's, it must be based on the on that 
chorus, the, the rolling dimension. That's nice. awesome. Well, I would consider a forte of, of both of yours to be, you know, uh, keeping, you know, fast and aggressive music, melodic and catchy. Um, you know, a- after all these years of, you know, being in that pocket for music, um, wh- what's kind of the secret sauce in creating songs like that? Like, what's the balance between pop and melody while not bringing it too far over the top that it strays away from kind of like an alternative base? Like, wh- where do you find that middle ground? Go ahead, Matt. Uh, I th- think it has to do with performance a little bit it Mm. has to do with what you're doing with the with the instrumentation i mean look melody is so melody is everything um i think that when you strip most songs down and it could be you know a minor threat song or it could be a kelly clarkson song or it could be whatever um, or Johnny Cash song, like it's just like all those songs could be played on an acoustic guitar and be awesome, right? Well, not sure. every one of those songs, but you you know pick one from each category, right. um, and it's just what you do around it, really, frankly. Mm. But I think that melody is 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 key to everything. Yeah, I and the best part about music is that you can like. Pick up a guitar, piano, or bass, or whatever, and just put a few notes or chords together. And there's just like an endless, endless way to be melodic over it, whether it's a melody yeah. on the guitar mm-hmm. or a melody with your vocal or a way of yeah. delivering and, the vocal. And it's it's like literally endless. So if you yeah. can like just just get to that point, like any like musicians out there who are just getting started songwriting you, the best thing to do is just like not that i'm trying to give a lesson to people or whatever but it, 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 just to like fuck around with it a little bit because yeah. like literally there there's endless melodies out there everything everything can be a song yeah two notes yeah. can be a song i think it's right. also about the interplay between those melodies between the melodies being played um on the guitar and what's being what's what the vocal is doing yeah. Um, you know, it, it, you know, harkens back to call and response a little bit, but, but you can create like, you know, mood is important. And uh, I think that you need to create tension to create mood. And yep. that is a, a pretty simple way of doing it. I mean, that being said, what, what's the starting point for both of you? When are you sitting down working on something and you hear something, you know, um, a, a melody, uh, that, that you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is something I want to build off of. Like, what's the what's the clue to you that that something's going to work? For, for me, for me, it's usually just a simple chord progression. Mm. So, like a you know, like a, a D A G, you could just play, which is a really simple chord progression, and uh, it, that's how it starts for me. Like a really simple, no, not like a big crazy riff or anything like that. Just like a really simple chord progression that. Then like a little melody starts building in in my head for a vocal and and or a gu- little guitar line that could be a melody that accompanies that. Hmm. Yeah, just just singing something, playing something, and then singing over it, wh- whatever comes to mind. And that's when you, that's when you know, like if something comes to mind, cool. 
If something yeah. comes to mind and it kind of grabs you a little bit, like that's when you go. And it only needs to grab you a little bit, I think, because right. yeah. you've only just started. So right. if there's interest in, in the first few moments, then there likely will be when you work on it for a couple hours. And that's all just based on like instinct, like years of writing songs and your instinct. I think uh, so. Yeah, I think so. I think that anyone could do that if they if they knew three or four chords on a guitar and <laughs> right. And I mean, honestly, yeah. Uh, Matt, no, but we are we are incredibly um, talented and tra- uh, well trained musicians. I yeah. mean, <laughs> <laughs> you got a body of work, guys. You know. <laughs> now, Matt, do you need like? Do you need a, a vocal idea to, to imagine that a, a song is in the right direction? Or you can do it with just guitar. I need, I, I need, I need a vocal direction usually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I need to be able to, let, let me start over. I need to be able to sing something over something. That's okay, when right. I know. Sure. Because so, that's what, I, that's my primary instrument is my voice. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think if if you can kind of like whistle, hum, or sing a tune over something, again, I know I just basically said this already, but that's, <laughs> right, that's yeah. when you know. Yeah, yeah. And where are you at? Um, you know, when do when do the lyrics come into play for you? Are you, you know, do you have a lot of ideas that you're kind of working with all the time, and you're like, oh, this would work for a song, or do you mm-hmm. do you need to understand the melody first, and then you place lyrics around that? For me, it almost always starts with melody. In fact, okay. there are songs, you know, Dave's a little more efficient than I am with that. But um, like I'll I'll usually I'll usually come like when I when I come up with something that I think is is valuable that has you know that has potential, I'll just sing the melody. You know, okay. I know. So I'll I'll map out the song and then I will sing. Just a, a like a mumble vocal over the thing, and find just just to 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 not forget the melody. Um, and often when I often when doing that, like some words will come out naturally, and okay. sometimes those words like a there'll be something, there'll be like a hook, not not a musical hook, but like a, a something that I can grab onto, and then eventually, um, write about like after banging my head against my desk for fucking three days. <laughs> right. And where's like, like where's your heart at with, um, with lyric writing and stuff these days? I mean, I know, you know, explosion used to often carry a pretty, pretty serious punch with some of the lyrics, you know, real societal type of stuff and political stuff. Sometimes are you still trying to go down those roads or are you no. trying to express a, a different, different part of yourselves i i think definitely trying to express stuff that's more personal for me anyway yeah Yeah. i don't know i know matt's kind of the same way yeah for sure i think that it's a it's a reaction to to what's happening with what's happened um and and particularly with this record and particularly in this era we were pretty conscious of not attempting to write songs about you know the trump administration being on lockdown like it's just not that it's it's not easy to say it's too easy is the wrong way to put it because i don't don't think it's easy to write not necessarily easy to write a lyric or or, a good lyric um but that is low-hanging fruit so like like you can't really it's too obvious so 
we're right. almost we're almost like we're almost barred from writing lyrics about about the political state. Everyone knows what it's like. We don't need to tell them. Like, yeah, do you think right. people don't like? Oh, suddenly, we're gonna like shine the light on this thing that's happening. Yeah, like, I, 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 yeah, yeah. Right. I I just think it's more interesting to to kind of uh, bring your own like what's going on like for you, and maybe you can relate to other or other people can re- relate to you based on what's going on. You know. Yeah, that's a good and, point. Like, tell and, yeah. that story, the personal story. Yeah, you know, and uh, like it, it's. I don't think we're trying to, to like preach to anyone or anything like that. I, you know, I, I really do love writing. I did, or I did love writing those kind of songs in the explosion, but now it's just, it's, it's better for me psychologically and just creatively to, to write what's personally going on right now. It's like a really good and important creative endeavor, I think, you know? Yeah, sure. That even, it's interesting. That even just got me thinking while you were saying it, how, you know, I, I, I always think back to like, you know, in the same year I heard like Rage Against the Machines first record and Propagandi had to clean everything. Right. And I learned like dozens of things from both of those albums. Yeah. You know, that I hadn't known prior about yeah. politics and America and governance and war, like all these different things that I had no idea even existed until yeah. I listened to those records. It was almost as if you know, the punk bands of the 80s and 90s were trying to inform you of something. Oh, and, for sure. You know, and now that this information is just there for anybody who wants it at all times. Like if you're seeking that information, you can find it. So right. maybe it's almost as if like the the job of an artist and the job of a writer ha- uh, has come away from a a point of explaining something to someone and maybe offering a side path, offering a release, offering right. yeah. Yeah, it's thing fu- that isn't that for once. Yeah. It's funny that you say propaganda because I was never into propaganda, but uh, then I was into the weaker bands. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel right. like that, that was a more personal thing. So I don't know. Maybe the whole th- maybe this is what the pandemic changed that uh maybe we won't be political anymore and people are going to yeah. write lyrics from the heart again, you know? Yeah, I mean That's I right. don't think it doesn't mean don't be in touch and aware, but Yeah. And and look, like people who do that well these days more power to them. Uh, right, I sure. think it's just not what we want to write about. Yeah. I don't know. I could see you guys doing a Montero style video personally. I don't know if you guys are Lil Nas X fans. No, <laughs> I don't know. Bl- is that Lil the Nas devil X. one? Yeah. It's when he lap dances Satan. That's <laughs> gee, did you see Rudy Giuliani talking about it? Oh, oh no, God. I didn't. I didn't know. Well, you should watch like... it because it's a pretty amazing synopsis of the video. <laughs> fucking what a fucking idiot that guy is. Uh, <laughs> I got to take a look at that. I okay. feel embarrassed that I don't know about this. Listen, if you want to know my morality on it, you know, the guy take a... <laughs> Guy takes a stripper pole down to hell and lap dances Satan. Wow. I was laughing so hard when I watched it that my wife walked into the room being like, what is so funny? (laughs) So that was how. What's amazing is that he's just taking the piss and everyone, Rudy Giuliani's suddenly talking about it, giving him more press. It's brilliant. The guy's fucking genius. Lil Nas X is playing the whole thing. And he's only 20. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, good for him. I agree. God bless. 
All right. So listen, gents, I have, I've had you on for about 90 minutes. Um, I really hey. enjoyed it and I appreciate you taking the time. I'd like to try to leave with a little optimism Absolutely. Uh, from both of you. You know, it's been a tough time for people. And uh, what, what are some things you all are doing on a day to day, week to week level to try to keep yourselves nice and level, try to stay positive. Matt, I think you surf a little bit. Like, what are the things that are you're putting into your to your lives to try to stay through all this? Try to be kind mm. and try to wear a fucking mask. <laughs> it's <is> simple. <laughs> it is simple, I know, but this is a yeah. fucking tough question to answer. Like, I thought maybe it'd be a little bit of a softball, but it's it's more like a fast one. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm trying to exercise a little bit, trying to cut my own hair to get like, still like retain some level of self-respect. <laughs> I don't think I'm doing, I don't think I'm doing this the right way. I'm, I don't think I'm answering this the right way. Let's pass no, you, this one to Dave. Oh, wait, uh, <laughs> but Matt, are you still, um, well, I'm, can I just play a little quote here from the first time you appeared on the uh, podcast? Y- yeah. Listen, if I were to take my shirts, my shirt off. You guys are the boners. <laughs> I think that you wouldn't these days. <laughs> so no more spinning then. No, well, no, because I'm a responsible fucking New Yorker and can't go to the gym. So All I'm right. doing a thing. I got a whole thing in my basement. <laughs> so that's it. Matt, you exercise constantly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we still have boners, Matt. No. <laughs> Maybe. I don't think you would. <laughs> Anything for you, Dave? Yeah, man. Get a job, uh, growing weed, and uh, spend, <laughs> as, spend as much time with your family as you can and write songs for your best friend. Oh, my God. That is job the best bless. plan I've ever heard. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, right. Matt, Dave, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. No, thank you guys so much for having me. Thank us. you, Benny. Awesome. Thank you, Brad. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It was really fun. Um, needless to say, go listen to Space Cadet, the album, because Explosion fan or not, it's really cool and it's interesting. Yeah, everyone, please listen to Space Cadet. Do you have their uh, socials socials with you? They uh, get ready to use your underscore because they like underscores. <laughs> so Instagram is Space Cadet Band and just put underscores where you might put spaces with those words. You can also go to Space Cadet Band without any underscores. And I kind of actually would uh, recommend that you check it out. It seems to be a website made by a couple of 13-year-old Brits who posted like five pictures and then somebody, they lost the password and somebody (laughs) else got it at some point. So it's worth a chuckle. It'll only take about a minute and a half of your time. Yeah, but, there's been um, a number of a uh, number of space cadets out there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of space cadets, so be sure that is space ca- space underscore cadet underscore band, and then Matt is million dollar Matt again with the underscores. That's, That's million right. underscore dollar underscore Matt. Of course, we are going off track everywhere with no spaces. Just type away. You don't need to use your thumbs. You um, don't. Well, I guess if you're and on please. a laptop. If you're on a phone, you'll definitely be using your thumbs. Please press five stars if you're not <laughs> going to. Don't bother, you know. And then uh, 
If you're going to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. But as usual, we'd like you to get a little saucy with it, you know, a little sexual, a little velvety. Try to do it maybe after 10, 11 o'clock, after a couple beverages and really, really dig into the keyboard, you know, (laughs) tell me the way it made you feel on the inside. That's right. Keep breathing, Brad. When Benny says we, there? he's using the um, formal... The royal we. <laughs> because and also- I'll take anything. I'll take just a nice review. <laughs> you can just be nice. Am I putting too much pressure on people? You might be. It, are some people getting to the keyboard right now and they're starting and then they're like, oh, man, <laughs> I, don't, I, I just don't, don't have anything like sexually explicit enough to I'm not impress inspired. Benny here. I'm not inspired oh, enough. Well, you know what? I like to keep a high level of quality. Okay. Um, Also, something I didn't mention at the top that I wanted to mention is these videos for Space Cadet are phenomenal. Um, And it's Matt's wife who does all of them. And there's this really incredible video where I believe it's like some Christian rock festival from like the 60s. And they superimpose the guy's faces on the band. And it's just (laughs) such a trip. She did a really, really great job with these videos. They're like kind of arty and funny and really cool. And and fun to watch, you know? People, I like to see people having some liberty with videos these days, you know? Mm. I don't want to see four sweaty white guys in a room playing the song I'm listening to, you know? Boring. Yeah. <laughs> seen it. So, seen it. Have the t-shirt. Have the eight and a half by 11 glossy signed by Brad Worrell. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and thanks as always to our Patreons. Thanks to Nathan Van Horn for sending me that uh, Hi-Fi Hand Grenade song, Detroit as a Skyline, I was looking for on Bandcamp. <laughs> it was very sweet of you. Um, yeah, and thanks to everyone who listens. Should we All leave? Right. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.